Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's a crossover decades in the making. It's episode 291 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. And yeah, when you're talking about 90s kids, you're talking about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Those two things are going to combine. Those worlds collide on December the 4th from Boom Studios, a new comic book series. And I got to talk to writer Ryan Parrott about that a lot at San Diego Comic-Con this past year. So you'll finally hear the full interview talking about that. You might even hear Sienna Grace pop in there as well because I was interviewing him at the time and he you know, wanted to jump in. Who wouldn't want to talk about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? So we'll talk about that. Also, Audible back on as a sponsor this week. Got a great deal, perfect heading into the holidays that you're going to definitely want to hear about. Yeah, you'll also get my spoiler-filled review of The Mandalorian from Disney+. Plus. Oh, there's just so much to talk about this week. So since we're talking about comics, let's start off with comics. What we're reading is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Stephanie Phillips, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're page-turning or downloading whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and time to head to the Far Sector, the first issue from DC's Black Label, and N.K. Jamison on the writing, Jamal Campbell on art and colors, by the way, and Darren Bennett on the letters. Now, this follows a lantern mullion, who is investigating the first murder in this far-off sector in several, several years. The the place where she's at, though, is really weird, to say the least. I mean, it's inhabited... Uh, first of all, it's inhabited by three different cultures of people, each with their own particular sets of skills and quirks at the same time. I mean, the society has eliminated something very, very specific that I don't want to spoil and it, in their, you know, in the attempts to actually be able to live in harmony, it's it's interesting the deci- how they came to that decision and what preceded it. You can almost understand why they would at least give it a shot, given how the way things are, how the way things were going. And it also increases the intrigue in the story, though, as to why someone has actually been murdered. The why is actually the only variable in the crime, too, which was another kind of interesting plot point that we find out. Things really heat up quickly, though, in the investigation, and things change drastically in the final pages of this book. Now, you might think, really, that's it? That's all you can really tell me? I I can't really spoil much, but at the same time, the book's a bit hard to follow at times, and and that's by its own admission at one point in the book. There's a lot of very weird names in this book, and you know I have, I have trouble pronouncing names anyway, but it was hard to keep track of some of the names of the characters that were going on here because they were so funky and out there and weird. Now, is that a reason to, to you know, be a little bit lost? Not really, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's certainly once you see the characters, you know who's who, you know what, you know, you know what their roles are and things like that. So that's not the issue. But we're also kind of thrust right into the story. And I mean right into the story with no real background on anything until somewhere close to the middle where we get a little bit of an update on, you know, you get a little backstory in the society. And you also find out something about Lantern Mullen that's very, very interesting and unconventional as far as 
a role of a Green Lantern is concerned. And I'm in, I'm really interested in that aspect of the story. And it was really quick mention. It was it was mostly in the art more than anything else. I'm like, wow, why didn't we explore this before we get to the actual crime scene portion of the story? I just thought the the structure was a little weird and a little off here. Now, this book actually, story-wise, it feels to me a bit like Demolition Man meets Total Recall in a way. Not completely, but that's sort of the vibe that I was getting if we're, if we're combining two different stories together here. Now, I will say this. The one thing that is absolutely 100% off the charts good about this book is the art by Jamal Campbell. I mean, if, you, if you've read Naomi from Wonder Comics, he's the artist there as well. And, and this, might be, this art might even be better than that. And I love the art. In the Naomi story, I but I mean I can't seem to figure out how I feel about the story itself. But the art is so eye-poppingly good, and there's a couple moments in this book, especially there's one moment where the lantern's looking up at the sky, and, and and there's just something that she does, and it's so subtle, but it, but again, it just highlights how good the art really, really is. But I'm not really ready to give up on this one yet, so I'm gonna go ahead and give this a pickup. I'll give this another issue or two, see if things do pick up, and then maybe I'll change my mind, and I'll try and do an updated review to let you know what I think of the next issue. Well, now we're going to explore our family tree from Image Comics. Family tree number one from Jeff Lemire, writing this one. Phil Hester and Eric Gapster doing the art here. Ryan Cody on the colors, and Steve Wands on the letters. This follows a woman named Loretta and her family Living in the small town of Lowell, Maine. One of those places where, you know, kind of everybody knows everybody. You're on a first name basis. And it's also the kind of place where you can tell when something just isn't quite right. Or you're just stuck in the mundaneness of the life in the town that you don't really notice anything that goes on other than what's right there in front of you. Now, a seemingly normal day quickly turns when Loretta's young daughter develops a very bizarre rash. Now, if you've already gone to imagecomics.com, you kind of know what's going on here, right? But if you haven't, I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't had a chance to read the book now. Now, if that wasn't enough, they encounter some really frightening and weird individuals. They actually try to take Loretta's daughter until they're saved by someone who's very, very familiar to the family, or at least some members of the family anyway. Now, sometimes making something feel normal is the hardest story to tell. And Lemire actually makes you feel like you're in this small town and that everything is just kind of mundane despite the narration telling you otherwise while you're seeing the seemingly normal town, the seemingly normal everyday life, when the narration's telling you that something's about to happen and things are about to go down. It's almost like two opposite ends of the spectrum at the same time. It also helps set off the alarm bells, though, for readers when something just doesn't seem right. Like for us, as you're seeing them from an outside perspective, you're like, that person seems weird or that seems a little bit off. And that doesn't seem to you. You could see things that seem out of place, I guess, is the best way that I that I can really put it. And notice little subtle differences. Now, while the reveal about Loretta's daughter isn't completely shocking, given the title of the book and the cover art, and again, stuff that you might have seen at imagecomics.com, it still makes an impact because of who it's happening to and how they 
or how I should say, Lemire and company really sold the family dynamic early on in the book. It will also be interesting to see how this family dynamic changes after what happens at the end, and and I guess you could say kind of the end reveal of the book. Now, Hester and Gapster are really perfect for this first series like this, and they really add to the realism factor that the story has, but also that creepy factor. And it's not like you snap your fingers and it's creepy instantly, right? It's one of those things where it's slow and subtle over the first issue, and it's almost an afterthought for from for a couple of moments as well because it's almost like sleight of hand you've got one thing going on here and then all of a sudden oh yeah this is also happening too by the way so i gotta tell you this is another home run story for jeff lemire and not only does he seem to keep getting these amazing stories at image comics which he's got several going on right now he also seems to always get the right art team for the particular story then he wants to tell. So throw another Jeff Lemire title in my poll box because Family Tree was actually better than I expected, expected heading in. And I always love it when that happens. So go ahead and get Family Tree from Image Comics. And yeah, give Far Sector from DC's Black Label a try as well. Let me know what you think. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Yeah, you know I couldn't wait to talk about The Mandalorian. And since it's been a bit, we'll do some spoilers about it as well. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting my entire life to talk about a Star Wars live-action TV series. And yeah, I stayed up because I wanted to see The Mandalorian the second it came out. And I've watched it several times now since then. So here is a spoiler-filled review of Chapter 1, the premiere episode of The Mandalorian from Disney+. Plus. Yes, that means spoilers from here on out. And the reason I want to stress that as much as possible, because if you've seen the episode, you know exactly why I'm saying that. Now, again, I'm just because I'm going to do spoilers, it's not like I'm going to, let's start from the beginning and just talk about the entire episode. No, no, no. I'm just going to, you know, pick and choose certain things that I'm going to talk about here. First of all, I want to talk about the tone of the series itself because I'll be honest, when I was looking at all of the, you know, the trailers and things that came out for The Mandalorian, I actually expected it to be much more intense, much, you know, a little much darker than it actually was. It was actually a little bit more of a lighthearted tone than I expected. Is you know, and you see that in the first bar scene where, I mean, I say lighthearted, but there was plenty of action and, and certainly some intense action. I mean, when you cut a dude in half, it's hard to you know, be lighthearted. But at the same time, you think that the Mandalorian is saving this guy in the bar when it turns out that is one of his bounties that he's coming to pick up. But at the same time, you, you, you see this goodness in him, right? That he's willing to take these other guys down. And then, oh, by the way, plot twist, that's one of his bounties, and he's going to take him, and he's going to take him off, and he actually keeps him safe at one point too. That's the other thing. He he could have just let this guy get eaten. Although you know you get you let your bounty get eaten, I guess you don't really get paid. But what I'm saying is, we see several times throughout this that that the Mandalorian isn't necessarily this heartless bounty hunter. He he has a personality, and he actually seems like. 
he has feelings. Like when he's learning to ride that thing that he needs to ride to get to his next bounty, the the name of this creature escapes me. It was actually a kind of a cool looking creature that bites him earlier on in the episode. But and you see a softness to the Mandalorian. You you see him kind of you know take a different approach. So it's not like the he's this heartless bounty hunter and this heartless killer. No 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 no. That's not what we're dealing with at all. So we're we're peeling the onion. It seems like at the very beginning of this first episode, and you find out really quickly. Oh well, there's more to the Mandalorian than I expected, and there's certainly more to the story than I expected. Remember, this happens after the fall of the empire. So when he goes to try and figure out what bounties are next, I mean, pickings are slim when the empire is gone. There's not that many bounties to be had and nobody seems to want Imperial credits either. Or at least he doesn't, which is also an interesting thing. I mean, I guess they don't do very good if the empire is gone. So what we see is when he's getting his next assignment, it's one of those things where, you know, it's off the books. Can't tell you who the client is. There's no little puck that you can carry around and tell you who, what you're going to be going after or who you're going to be going after. Just here's the meeting place. Show up here and you're good to go. Now, now once they get to the meeting place, that's when things get interesting for me because you see in the trailer, you see stormtrooper helmets on stakes, right? And you think, oh, well, that means the Empire's really gone. And then the door flings open and you see a bunch of stormtroopers standing there in where he's going to meet the client. And you're like, hold on a second. So is the Empire gone or not? But we know, I mean, from, you know, from Force Awakens that the Empire's not really completely gone, right? I mean, they become the First Order. But anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole just yet because basically the client doesn't really have a whole lot of information either. So they, they, they say, hey, we can give you like last position and we can give you this tracking beacon thing. That's it. You go find it from here because you're good and you should be able to do this. Now, when he gets there, for some reason, he doesn't like droids either, which I found probably more funny than I should have throughout this, where every time he encounters a droid, it's like, oh, no, no droids. As a matter of fact, the bounty hunter droid, by the way, that was voiced by Taika Waititi was, comp- was awesome. Just watching this droid in action was pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. And then you see the fighting alongside the Mandalorian too. That whole sequence of them trying to get into where the bounty was was a really, really good action sequence. And it, it did feel like, and this, you know, thematically, the, the Mandalorian does kind of feel like a, a space western, but it, it felt like a good old-fashioned western shootout that you would see in a Western movie, except you're dealing with blasters and all kinds of other things. And when he, when the Mandalorian hops on that cannon and just starts blowing everybody away, that was an amazing scene, but okay. Now that we've kind of talked about thematically how things are going, let's talk about the reveal. Okay. Yeah. He shoots the droid that none of this matters at this point. You find the bounty and you open up what the, the bounty is just basically in, in this, like egg looking thing you open it up and it is a little baby this is a huge spoiler little baby yoda not like that's yoda but it's a baby at least a baby of yoda species in my mind 
My head blew clean off my shoulders when I saw this. My eyes popped out of my head like a cartoon character. And I was like, what? What? So first of all, there's a thousand questions that lead into this. But I'll just go with a couple for the sake of this discussion. Is this baby like Yoda's baby? Somehow, because this bounty has been out, they've been looking for whatever this is for like 50 years, apparently. This this baby is 50 years old, and given Yoda's species, you know, 50 years, they don't age, you know, very rapidly. So 50 years being a baby, that still makes sense. But the fact that, you know, is this Yoda's baby? Maybe. I mean, possibly. If you're looking at the timeline, I guess there's a chance that this could be Yoda's baby. Is it just a baby of Yoda's species? And you have to think about this, too. We know virtually nothing about Yoda's species. Almost nothing. And is this is this Yoda baby, is, the, is it connected to the Force? We have no idea. But all we know is, is there's a Yoda baby in this client who seems to have some sort of ties to the Empire or First Order or whatever the hell you want to call them, wants it. And why they want it is just as interesting as what it is that they're actually getting. All we know is that there's a baby that looks like Yoda, and that's it. We don't know if this baby has any abilities, powers, connection to the Force, if this is Yoda's baby, not. And we don't know any of this stuff. And therein lies the intrigue of this whole series all of a sudden. So I already loved it anyway. Before that reveal, I'm just sitting here like an idiot. Kicked back, big stupid smile on my face. Just enjoying every second of seeing something different from the Star Wars world. And and yeah, I I mean, we're, we're not really, you know, venturing so far outside of the box. That we can't see where the box is anymore. While this is different, it isn't vastly different enough because there's still some familiar faces that you'll see, especially from the Bounty Hunters as you go. There's still familiarity there. Even the speeders are are somewhat familiar. So it it doesn't take you so far outside where it just doesn't feel as much like Star Wars anywhere. There's still plenty of familiarity there. But at the same time, it was just something that, that just felt like it was fresh it was new. It did have that Western vibe, which was really, really cool. The character of the Mandalorian not only looks cool, but just had that, first of all, you could you could tell he's a badass one second, and then the next second, he's just a regular guy, it seems like, at times, right? It seems like he's just a regular guy trying to figure out how to do his job to the best of his ability and keep people at arm's length, right? And that is some, and again, that can come into the Western theme. Your Western heroes didn't necessarily want a whole lot of friends. They wanted to be gunslingers. They wanted to do their thing, and they wanted to move on to the next thing, and that was it. But when push came to shove, they were just an old softy. And so far, it seems like the Mandalorian has a little bit of that softness in him. Now, we'll have to see now that he has this baby if that's going to continue to happen. Is this just going to be a bounty? Or is there going to be more to this now because we're talking about such a young creature? We won't know that until the series starts to play out a little bit more. But I got to tell you, I loved every single second of this. And I loved that when the credits were rolling, we got the concept art in there as well. I thought that was really, really neat. We get, what, like 35 minutes, 36 minutes-ish 
So not a hugely long episode, but the vibe that John Favreau, Favreau and company have created here was so, so great and so refreshing. Pedro Pascal, amazing in the first episode as the Mandalorian. Even Nick Nolte had a lot of fun with his character in the series, and I, and I really hated to see that bounty droid get destroyed. And now that doesn't mean the bounty droid won't be coming back. You never know. Things can be repaired and whatnot. But finding out more about the client and about this baby, there's so much to unpack after just one episode. I am stupid excited to see the rest of what The Mandalorian has to offer on Disney+. Plus. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Audible. It's the world's largest selection of audio entertainment. One great thing that they're doing now with Audible is Audible Originals. Basically, stories created exclusively for audio. You're talking about documentaries, scripted shows. As a matter of fact, one that I have my eye on. You know how much I love Carnival Row? Well, Carnival Row Tangle in the Dark is an audio original. I can't wait to listen to that one myself because I need more Carnival Row in my life. So with the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device. It's also Alexa-enabled. Here's one thing I love about Audible. Not only do you get to keep your library forever, you can easily exchange any title that you don't love at any time. So make sure right now you go to audible.com slash D-N-P-O-D. You can also text D-N-P-O-D to 500-500. You can get a 30-day Audible free trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. So not only can I grab my Carnival Row Audible original, I've got another one plus an audiobook that I can get absolutely for free just for going to audible.com slash dnpod and text dnpod to 500-500 to get your 30-day free trial, one audiobook, and two Audible originals for free. Then you can keep them forever, cancel at any time, and check out the amazing selection at Audible right now. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of The Mandalorian from Disney+. Plus. Up next, let's talk about some nerd news, shall we? I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jason Lyles from Rampage the Movie, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the few times that fan outrage actually pays off. It's time for nerd news, and I'm actually talking about the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie trailer you remember the debacle that was the first one i've talked about in the show before about how just creepy and weird and awkward sonic looked in that first trailer so that led to the whole gotta fix fast campaign and we talked about that as well well fast has been fixed and we see that in the new poster and the new trailer and i don't want to go through i don't want to do a whole long drawn out thing here all i'll say is it's a million times better a lot less toothier and actually looks like Sonic, which is what they should have done in the first place. I mean, this is one of those times where they tried to reinvent the wheel, it was a stupid idea, and it didn't work. Now, once you get to the actual trailer itself, and we kind of knew this, you should have known this from the first trailer, maybe you were too distracted by the look itself, that this is essentially, it's going to be a movie made for kids. And here's my thing, people that are upset, why wouldn't? They make this movie for kids. Didn't you fall in love with this character when you were younger? I'm not saying you can't love the characters as an adult or fall in love with the characters as an adult. Not saying that at all. But again, saying that this movie is going to be made for kids is something that makes 100 complete sense. Would you? I don't see that there's a huge market for an adult 
Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Sorry, I, I just don't. Now, is there going to be humor for adults in there? Sure, because, they, you know, that's something that's kind of typical for kids' movies anyway. We've certainly seen that in several kids' movies. We'll talk about that here in just a second, as a matter of fact, with another trailer that came out this past week. But, you know, saying that this should be more for adults or fans of original fans of Sonic that are that are a little bit older now, come on. I mean, really? Come on. I mean, you, you kind of have to enjoy this for what it is, or you skip it sort of thing, right? And especially the whole Dr. Robotnik thing. And, and you know, maybe that's a legitimate beef. I, I'm not even so sure that it is. First of all, Jim Carrey is a, is a, is a name. He's an entertaining guy. But, but, again, if you don't like Jim Carrey, then you're not going to like Dr. Robotnik. When you cast Jim Carrey for something, you should expect to get Jim Carrey, period, especially in a movie like this. I mean, we've seen Jim Carrey in more serious roles and doing different things. But when you cast Jim Carrey in Sonic the Hedgehog as Dr. Robotnik, expect to get Jim Carrey, okay? You're not going to get a different version of it. You're going to get the Jim Carrey that you absolutely expect to get based on his other work. And you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think that it fits the theme of what they're going for in the movie. Is that Does that mean the movie's going to be good? No. Does Could it be terrible? It could absolutely be terrible. But that's true of... Almost any movie, quite frankly. I mean, it could look good in a trailer, but it can end up being terrible. It could look terrible in a trailer and end up being good. It could also look terrible and end up being terrible. So you don't know until you actually see it. So the question is, are you interested in seeing it or not? Because that's really the bottom line here. Just know what you're getting yourself into before you go see it. That's all I That's all I could possibly say, because otherwise you're just setting yourself up to hate it for the sake of hating it. Here's something that I'm really excited about. Speaking of a movie for kids, the trailer for Scoob, which is going to be coming out in the summer of 2020. Of course, Sonic going to be on Valentine's Day of 2020. Nothing better to take your sweetheart to, right? And we're going to get Scoob in the summer of 2020. And what we're going to get is we're going to get the origin story of the of the whole crew. of of First of all, how Scooby met Shaggy, which I think is going to be just a wonderful part of this movie. You're also going to get Freddie and Daphne and Velma. We're going to find out how they all came together and, and became friends and then, you know, became the mystery crew, basically, and started solving mysteries. We'll even see what looks like their first mystery together. And then we're also going to get more of a present-day story where it looks like Scooby and Shaggy get taken captive aboard a ship, right? And there's these weird robots going on. It just looks like it's going to be a fun movie. It looks like there's going to be some if you're if you're a Scooby-Doo fan of old like I am, some stuff that's going to tug at your heartstrings a little bit and just make you smile as a longtime fan. To me, this is one that, unlike the first Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, and yeah, this is this is going to be a completely CG movie, which again, that's just kind of what animated movies are doing now. Well, the well the big budget ones anyway that, that go to theaters. I, I look at this movie and I go, you know what? They know exactly what they were. From the very beginning, they didn't try and they did not try and reinvent the wheel. They knew exactly with the audience that they were going for and the kind of movie that they wanted to do. They didn't mess around with the looks a whole lot, and they just did it. And and to me, having confidence and knowing something works just because it works is really really important when you're talking about a movie like this. And I am really looking forward to seeing Scoob. As a matter of fact, I think I need to get my son caught up. My oldest son caught up on Scooby-Doo before we actually go see this movie. So then that way, I mean, he hasn't really watched much Scooby-Doo yet, but I really think he enjoys it. So maybe that's something we'll do this weekend. Here's something that I think that 
we're all looking forward to. And now we're less than a month away from Crisis on Infinite Earths. And we get a teaser in this past, past week's episodes. I say teaser. What was it, like 15 seconds long? You flash up a few characters and, yeah, you see the Atom. And you see, what, like Lex Luthor for five seconds. And you see Oliver and, and Mia walking together. And a lot of the stuff is very cool, right? But at the same time, you don't really get a whole lot. You see the Wave Rider fly by, too. Here's my argument right now. I don't want a single trailer for this crossover. I don't want anything longer than we already got. I want to try and do everything we can to keep this all this stuff a surprise. Because quite frankly, I don't need to know anything that I already know. The first look photos, I'm fine with that. Let's do that. Let's just keep doing the first look photos and stuff like that. I don't need any more than I already know about Crisis on Infinite Earths because, I mean, we don't, why can't we ever be surprised by anything anymore? We know certain characters that are going to show up, but you know, I'm sure that there's some stuff that we don't know about characters we don't know are going to show up. We certainly don't know who's going to live or who's going to die or how close it's going to be to the comics or anything like that. Yeah, we might know what the anti-monitor looks like, but that's not a big deal to me. We might know what the, what Pariah looks like, what Tom, what Tom um, Kavanaugh's character is going to look like. That's not a big deal to me. What is a big deal to me is actually knowing too much going into your biggest crossover event in the Arrowverse ever. I don't need any more than I've already gotten. So hopefully they keep the mystery in that. And I know that we've only got a few weeks left. December the 8th is when things all kick off. And I don't need any more trailers or anything like that. So hopefully the folks at Warner Brothers and the CW decide you know what we need to try and keep all this stuff close to the vest you don't really need to know any more than you already do and let the episodes that lead up to crisis tell that story we don't need that in trailers or at least i don't because i'm going to be watching it anyway and hopefully you'll be watching you can watch it with me as a matter of fact on tv co if you download the tv co app just a little plug there for the watch parties that i do every sunday and tuesday nights go to your favorite app store, download the TV co-op TVCO, and you can watch the Arrowverse crossover with me starting on December the 8th and every other show, for that matter, leading up to that. So just keep that in mind. Something to think about. So it's kind of a light news week, so I just want to touch on a couple of things really quick. Kind of a renewal scorecard type of thing. Titans gets renewed for a third season on DC Universe. While I'm not completely shocked about that necessarily... It is more of a vote of confidence to me in the DC Universe streaming service than it is in the Titans series. Because, you know, we the reports were, you know, Doom Patrol being aired on HBO Max. What's the future of the DC Universe streaming service? Well, I think we kind of know now because Titans is going to be premiering its third season in the fall of 2020. And I don't think you pulled the plug on the service. So you're going to get at least another year, it seems like of the DC Universe streaming service. Now, could this end up being like a channel on HBO Max at some point, like an add-on like Amazon Prime does? You know, you can add channels on there. Yeah, maybe, but it doesn't look like DC Universe is going anywhere anytime soon. As a matter of fact, I would probably suspect they're going to do some sort of a bundle-type deal like Disney Plus has been doing with with Hulu and ESPN Plus, and now there's Stars is even in the mix there. Wouldn't be surprised to see that at all, but I mean... Titans has had a very good second season with Deathstroke and introducing several new characters. Connor Kent, you've got Crypto that's been in the mix and several others and the mystery of what happened with Jericho and all that stuff. 
it's been a very entertaining season. So to see this show continue to grow and move into a third season and wonder, you know, what characters might be involved there. Hopefully we'll get more Aqualad in season three when we see that coming up, when we see that premiere. So I really do think that for a flagship series in DC Universe that had a lot of pressure on it, Titans has done very, very well in its first two seasons. Now, another show that's been renewed is The Witcher. And you're saying, gee, that's interesting because we haven't actually seen it yet. No, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen a single episode of The Witcher. We've seen, like, what, one trailer? Maybe, maybe uh, you know, a little bit of another teaser or something like that. We've seen first look photos and stuff released and all that stuff. But we haven't seen an episode yet. Now, you could say, wow, early vote of confidence from Netflix. They must be really happy with what they're seeing. They're going to give us another season. First of all, when you've got somebody like Henry Cavill involved, and, you know, whether you like the Man of Steel movies or not, He's got a lot of name notoriety from playing Superman, from being in the Mission Impossible movies, things like that. It's This is not a huge surprise that they would want to be in business with him and some of the other talented folks that are involved in The Witcher as well. But then you look at this and say, well, what's Netflix's alternative here? You know, they, they need something that's going to wow people in the in these what let's just call it what it is it's streaming wars at this point yeah they've got stranger things and you know the umbrella academy seems to be doing well and there's some other shows that certainly are doing well for netflix but they need something with a little bit of pop and longevity and i think what they're hoping for in the witcher is is that it's going to have that pop and longevity because the witcher is something that could run for a long long time if they let it. Now, that's the other thing, if they let it, because Netflix isn't really one to let things drag out for too long. They tend to end shows after four and five seasons, it seems like. So while this could certainly run beyond that, I don't know how much of a vote of confidence in the show it is to renew it for a second season before it even airs, more so that it's Netflix saying, well, you know, we, we need to keep something around. We need to actually have something with a little bit of name recognition to keep around to keep the, you know, let's face it, nerd fandom happy because that's something very important in all of these streaming services. And especially with a lot of options, you better find yourself a hit and you better find something to bring us back to your streaming service because otherwise our money is going to go elsewhere. So only time will tell if The Witcher is going to be that. Speaking of streaming services, multiple reports here and released by Disney as well says that Disney Plus is at 10 million subscribers in its first week. And, you know, again, with the success of The Mandalorian, that's not a huge surprise. Then you've got to factor in other stuff like the High School Musical, you know, that Noel Christmas movie that was on there, even the Lady and the Tramp live action reboot. Plus, I'm seeing a lot of gargoyles being streamed by fans on Disney Plus, you know, X-Men, the animated series. Obviously, there's a lot of options. We, I could sit here and list them all day. We've already done the whole list thing. But again, is this a huge surprise, really? We've had the pre-order lead-ups. They, they had huge, major deals where you could, at certain points, if you pre-ordered it at the right time or if you were a, a, a Disney member, then, then a D23 member, you could get the service for practically nothing. Plus, throw in the fact that Verizon has that deal where you get a year of Disney Plus for free with the unlimited plan or if you subscribe to Fios. For, for, I think it's only for new customers, though. Or I'm not sure if it's or if you're upgrading 
or something like that, then you get the year of Disney+. Plus. So, again, there's certain things that factor into this. I'm not sure how much the whole Verizon thing factors into the number of 10 million. I think that Disney was going to get a nice amount of subscribers regardless of that little of that little deal. But, I mean, again, they did a lot to make sure that they had a huge number to report in its first week. Now, remember, you get a week free trial no matter what you do. So, are we going to see fans that actually, you know, just watch what they want to watch for a week and say, yeah, you know what, I don't feel like paying for this and, and cancel it? I don't think so because I think the price point's low enough. This is one of those ones you're going to keep to see if you're going to use it anyway. And then maybe a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, you you just, you know, you examine how much you're actually using it, and then you decide whether or not you want to keep it. So I'd be more interested in what the numbers are in, say, you know, February or March or April. Where are they at at that point? But I got to tell you, I think it's it's going to continue to grow, actually. I don't think we'll see a whole lot of drop-off from Disney+, Plus because not only just the sheer volume of things that they offer, but the sheer volume of originals that they're going to offer that already have massive existing fan bases. And for the price that it is... Again, if you were paying like 15 bucks a month or somewhere around that nature, maybe you'd start to question it a little bit and you're like, I'm not going to do this just for one thing. Like, I won't subscribe to this just for Mandalorian. Well, if it's only like eight bucks a month, think about what you spend on going to see one movie, right? You could get quite a few months of Disney Plus for the price it takes for you to go to actually see a movie and get snacks and all that stuff. So, again, it just, and you get to stay home. And watch stuff whenever you want, too, by the way. So there's that. So, I mean, again, not surprised at all that it's a huge number. Do I think it's going to grow exponentially? No, probably not. Well, it'll certainly grow once certain things are released. I think like Falcon and Winter Soldier, once that pops on, there could be some people that are waiting for that and will subscribe then. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see other random deals every now and then because if one thing Disney knows how to do well, it's create buzz and create urgency in their products, I can see them do nothing less than that with Disney Plus, especially if they start to see things start to, you know, sort of back off subscriber wise a little bit. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, we're going to be talking to writer Ryan Parrott about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover. Here are the rest of my interview from Comic Con next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is uh, writer Ryan Parrott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Speaking of big crossovers, we're just a few weeks away from another big one. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers crossing over with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Boom Studios this December. And when I was at San Diego Comic-Con this past year, I got a chance to talk to Ryan Parrott. Also, Cena Grace was part of that interview as well. You heard me talk to him about Ghosted in L.A. You heard Ryan jump in on that. Well, now you're going to hear the rest of that. Ryan Parrott talking about all the great things with Power Rangers he's doing. And you'll hear Cena Grace pop in on occasion as well. So here's that interview right now. San Diego Comic-Con 2019, the 50th anniversary of San Diego Comic-Con. As a matter of fact, I can't think of a better way to celebrate than talking about some great books from Boom Studios, Boombox, and the other thousand imprints that they might have. And we just happen to have Cena Grace and Ryan Parrott both joining me at the same time. Gentlemen. Hey, hi. Hey, hey. As far as you're concerned, Ryan, I mean, we're at now 40-something issues of Power Rangers, and you're starting Necessary Evil now, so what's that journey been like for you? Exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Just exhausting. 
Snake. Yeah, no, I'm doing three Power Ranger books now, and that's it's a lot to keep in. I have times where I'm like, I, which story is this? Which character? All right, yeah. So it's just it's a lot to keep in my mind at all the same time. But it's I mean I'm, I'm, it's a it's a it's a nice it's a it's a nice problem to have. This has been like the craziest Tommy Oliver journey I feel like ever. Was that the plan from the beginning? Oh yeah, we definitely had ideas what we wanted to do halfway through Shattered Bay. We were already talking about this, so it's it's weird to actually finally have people start to read it considering I've been thinking and talking about it for over a year and now now I'm almost done writing it I'm like halfway through the writing process so I'm like moving on to other things and I'm like oh right that's right people are just catching up so yeah that the weird time space you know pattern of comics is weird I mean you've got something really big to hype though man I saw the press release come across the email and I'm like there's no way this is happening but at the same time how has this not happened yet so Power Rangers Ninja Turtles meeting for the first time. Did you ever think that this was going to happen? Well, which, funny quick story. So, like, I when, when I was getting go with Power Rangers, I was like, I want to do another book. And so I was like, what could, what could be cool? And so I literally called Daphne, my editor, being like, hey, is there any chance? And I, and I was like, and she was like, she stopped me before I even pitched anything. She was like, hey, I don't know if we're going to be able to find another book for you this year because we're really busy with the crossover. And I was like, what crossover? She's like, oh, we're doing Power Rangers Ninja Turtles this next year. And I was like, oh my god, that's what I was calling you to actually pitch can can I can I please do that and so I begged and begged and begged and begged and begged and so finally eventually after I, I just begged her forever she let me do it because like that's the pinnacles of like the pillars of my like growing up you know it was like Batman and the animated series the Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers I was just like two of those are, I can't they're just there's so many similarities to them like just structurally they just feel like I don't know why no one's done this yet it just feels like such an obvious crossover wait riddle me that now I have now I have a question for you wait so chicken and egg though so they were already talking about it but then you also also had the idea specifically for I turtles. called to pitch you it wanted to her. turtles. I, t- I wanted Power Rangers Ninja Turtles, and she was like, uh, and she's like, I don't think we're gonna have anything because we're doing the crossover. I was like, what crossover? She's like, we didn't tell you, oh and then God. pitched me the thing I was literally calling the picture. Yeah, it's so tight. <laughs> I just got like put on a CC after a point, and I was like, wait, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you kind of read their mind a little bit. And now all of a sudden it's happening, and and poor Tommy now again being thrust into something else. Now he's going to be with Shredder. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, I don't want to give away too much of this, too much of the plot at this point. We'll we'll get down there. It's pretty far off, so it's like December when it comes out. But uh, yeah, it's 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 more. I, I mean. It's the opportunity to sort of get to, to tell all the to, to I know that the Power Rangers and Turtles have sort of crossed over before, obviously in the show. Um, but like, I just felt like there was like we, I want to see the iconic the first five and and or actually just first six. I want to see those crossover with the Turtles and do some sort of like a modern the same way we've been able to sort of modernize them in in with Mighty Morphin and GoGo. It's like how can we do that with and sort of do a modern version of the show that I grew up watching. So yeah, it's it's there's a lot of fun stuff. I don't want to give away too much. I, I it, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll be there, but like it's. Been Basically, I get to be a fan. I just want to throw everything in there that I always wanted to see. I know you also do creator-owned stuff, Ryan, but is there a creator-owned story that you haven't been able to tell yet? Again, without giving too much away that you'd really like to see get done. Um, yes, and I literally just sold it this morning, mm. so I can't tell you anything about oh. it yet. I'm so sorry, but I just got another book this That's morning. I just gotten here sooner. I know. I would say the title, but the title might change, so then I can't do it. But yeah, I literally am going to do another creator-owned book, um, which 
just sold it this morning at, low, at breakfast, so that's yeah, that's why I drew, drew all the way down here. And uh, and it's gonna happen. And it's a very it's, it's a it's a supernatural story that I really like, and it deals with a lot of sort of social issues and and deals with like death and all this stuff. Like, it's, it's a fun little story, and and it's in the more of the horror genre, which I like, but like no, but like social horror. So like it's a, not like Get Out or anything, but like that level of stuff. And it's got something I've wanted to talk about for a while, so I'm pretty excited about that. Speaking of selling books, I really wanted to make sure I got this in. You guys actually did something really cool with the Make a Wish Foundation for Power Rangers number 40. For anybody who doesn't know, talk about that and what it was like to be part of that project. Yeah, well, uh, they came to me earlier and they were like, hey, we're going to do uh, an orange variant. Uh, uh, we're going to make an orange beast morpher uh, character and we're going to put them up. We're going to do sort of the Genji covers with the holding the helmets. And uh, at one point we were talking about, oh, am I getting me in trouble? So I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so it was very exciting. Uh, this kid, he, we made him an honorary Power Ranger and uh, one of the variants for 40, is it 40 or Go-Go? It's 40. Yeah. It's for Mighty Morphin 40. Uh, the, the proceeds for the sales go to the make wish, wish Foundation, which is awesome. Uh, and it's just cool to see any kid get to be able to be. He looks like he looks good in the suit. Awesome. Yeah. He looks like I look at him I'm like, dude, you could have been on the show. He looks fantastic. That's so rad. Yeah, really uh, I missed all of this. <laughs> That's what happens when you're in deadline. I know, you're, busy. you're writing. You're doing your job. <laughs> so before I let you guys go, I, I want to talk about the respective artists on your books because I feel like you both got you've gotten really lucky with the artists that you've been able to work with. Oh, I mean, I'm working with three amazing artists. Actually, like four, depending on who we're working with. But uh, yeah, but Daniele, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I'm going to butcher it and he'll get mad at me. No worse than uh, I did, I'm no. sure. <laughs> but Daniele's fantastic. I, he's He really does. I think he's, it's one of the things that's so cool about working with like Daniele and then Simone and um, and Francisco is that uh, we can't and they, any of them be named Bob. Um, <laughs> but what's so great about them is they all have these incredible strengths and, and, and different abilities and you learn how to write for each one of them. It becomes like a partnership, which is really great. And like Daniele does, like the way he frames a shot, the way he can, the way he, the way he picks camera angles and 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 knows what to show and what not to, and the way that he, if you look at his figures, the way that he, he puts weight, there's a weight to people standing. That's that is an underappreciated art for artists is being able to make a person look like they're actually standing. And he does some stuff. His body language, I don't have to. I pulled so many lines of dialogue because I'm just like I don't need to. That he sold it in the look or it sold it in the in the gesture. Um, and then Simone, it's just like what's I'm we're really early on in the process with turtles, but. Like just finding just finding that pattern and seeing the way he wants to differentiate the different worlds and the different styles and the different way the different you know to find a way to to make it his own but by taking the modern aesthetic taking the aesthetics of both the show and sort of blending them but yet modernizing him that's a lot of words there I know but it's mm-hmm. it's really seeing him do that and then Francisco's just such a great job on GoGo it's like it coming out of, from Dan Mora and and from Eleonora it's just such a so many words uh, uh-huh. he, he's he's got this like it's a very much more literal style. I don't even know if you could describe it. Like it's like it's still really kinetic, though. Like everything has movement, and I think it's actually like the action sequences have turned out like forty percent more insane than I would have anticipated in a good way. And and again, back to like camera angles and stuff. It just like everything. There's like a dynamism, even in like these quiet character scenes that I wouldn't have anticipated. So make sure you're going to boom-studios.com for all the release dates, for all the great books. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, of course, Power Rangers Go. And then, of course, you've got Ghosted in L.A. as well. And Cena's got some other stuff, so does Ryan's. Make sure you just go to boom-studios.com because there's a ton of it up there. Cena, Grace, Ryan Perry, gentlemen, thank you both for joining me at the same time. Thank Thank you. you very much, man. You can just hear the excitement in Ryan Parrott's voice, right, about being able to bring the worlds of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I mean, he's been writing Power Rangers forever. Now he gets to bring the turtles into the mix. 
I, I got to tell you, I can't wait for this one either. December the 4th cannot come soon enough. That is when you can get your hands on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number one from Boom Studios at your digital retailers. Also, your local comic book shops. Make sure you're pre-ordering that as well. You've got to get your copy of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at Boom Studios for letting me chat with Ryan Parent and Cena Grace at San Diego Comic-Con this past year. You want more coverage of, you know, all kinds of interviews that we're doing. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Make sure you're also following us on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Facebook.com slash downandnerdy there as well. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, Audible. Go to audible.com slash dnpod, and then you can get your two free Audible Originals, and one audiobook. Your 30-day free trial is waiting for you right now. Audible.com slash DNPod and text DNPod to 500-500. And while you do that, remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.